chapter 3. We're slowly working our way through the book of Ruth. Anytime I'm preaching here. And this is our sixth study tonight. I want to read from the last verse of chapter uh, chapter 2. So we'll begin in a moment at Ruth chapter 2 verse 23 and we'll read all of chapter 3. We've seen so far in the book how Naomi and Ruth come back to Bethlehem and they need a redeemer. They're destitute, they're vulnerable, they're helpless. They need someone to redeem them, to give them a hope and a future. Chapter 2, we met the Redeemer. We saw what the Redeemer was like. We saw that he had the means to pay the price. We saw that he's part of their family. We saw that he was willing to redeem. And then, the last night I was here, we we thought about how to approach the Redeemer. We don't approach him by our schemes, but by coming and asking the Redeemer to redeem us, to save us. We saw his response. Boaz says, I will do for you all that you ask. A willing redeemer who will do it. And tonight, I want to concentrate on verse 18 at the end of the chapter. But we read from chapter 2, verse 23. So Ruth stayed close to the servant girls of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvest were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. One day Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you be well provided for? Is not Boaz, with whose servant girls you've been, a kinsman of ours? Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash and perfume yourself. Put on your best clothes, then go down to the threshing floor. But don't let him know you're there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night something startled the man, and he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You've not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you're a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am near of kin, there is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. Stay here for the night. Then the morning, if he wants to redeem, good Let him redeem. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognised. He said, don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. 
also said, Bring me the shawl you're wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and put it on her. Then he went back to the town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her, and added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, till you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. We end our reading of God's word there. We sing praise to God, this time from Psalm number 62. Psalm 62a. We sing the first five, first six. Please open your Bibles at Ruth chapter 3. Our focus tonight is the last verse of Ruth chapter 3, verse 18 on page 269 of the church Bible. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. What are you waiting for? I think we're all waiting for something. I'm waiting for Abigail to come back from camp. I'm waiting for the second film in the Hobbit trilogy to come out in December. I'm waiting for Liverpool to finally win a league trophy. I'm waiting for college to start in October. I'm waiting to know God's will for my future ministry. We're all waiting for something from the mundane and the silly to the serious things, the big issues of life. Waiting is an integral part of the Christian life and the Christian walk and how we live as Christians. And the Christian life is full of times of waiting, seasons in our lives, We were waiting on God. And I want to think tonight about how do we deal with these seasons of waiting when we have to wait for God to act. We've been going through Ruth almost a chapter at a time. But I want to slow down tonight and focus on one verse. Verse 18 as we think about waiting. Waiting for the Redeemer. Waiting for God. I want to answer two questions tonight. Why do we have to wait? And why can we wait? Why do we have to wait? And why can we wait? First of all, why do we have to wait? The answer is because God's hand is hidden. Why do we have to wait? Because God's hand is hidden. Think back over everything that's been happening so far. Naomi and Ruth have returned to Bethlehem. They're widows. They're destitute. They're vulnerable. They're helpless. They've no one to provide and protect them. No one to buy Naomi's land to keep her stake in God's kingdom. No one to carry on the family line. Naomi and her family are about to be blotted out of Israel out of God's kingdom but there's a redeemer 
someone who has the means to redeem, someone who's in the family, so who's qualified to redeem, someone who's willing to redeem, Boaz, the Redeemer. And Naomi and Ruth have approached the Redeemer. Remember back to when we looked at chapter 3, we saw Naomi's dubious plan about how to approach the Redeemer and to get him to redeem. But in all of that shadiness, God overrules and Naomi, or Ruth and Boaz's purity is upheld and God uh, overrules in the situation and Boaz finishes the chapter saying, I will do for you all that you ask. And now, Boaz has, read in verse 15, he goes into the town, it's the early morning, morning after the night before, the sun's creeping up on the sky of Bethlehem, and still and it's quiet and maybe the birds are beginning to chirp and Ruth makes her way back to Naomi and remember she's got this huge sack of barley to carry home probably uphill as well and she opens the door and I wonder if she maybe tries to open the door quietly not to wake up Naomi since it's early in the morning but Naomi's been up all night she's been waiting and she calls out how did it go who are you? Are you engaged or not? And Ruth reports everything that's happened that night. Tells Naomi about Boaz's words. He said he would do for me all that I ask. He will redeem me. But he didn't just say this. Look at what he's given me. Here's the proof of his, his words. But. There's a big but. Remember what Boaz said. There is a Redeemer nearer than I. There's someone closer. There's someone ahead of me in the queue. Just imagine Ruth's uh, emotions as she comes back and as she's telling Naomi about uh, what's happened. The excitement. She's got her man. Boaz is interested. Someone to redeem them. Someone to give them hope and a future. She's pacing around telling the story. And then there's the disappointment. She says, but there's someone else. What if he wants to do it? What if I end up married to somebody who I've never met before, who I have no interest in? What if he's not, not uh, caring like Boaz? All the what-ifs running through her mind, the disappointment, the uncertainty. And Naomi speaks in verse 18. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter. Wait until you find out what happens. Literally, the first bit is, sit, sit, my daughter, sit tight, wait, wait until you find out what happens. Literally, it's wait to see how the matter falls. Naomi's using the image of dice having been cast, or lots having been cast. Many years later, Julius Caesar would stand on the brink of the Rubicon River about to march in Rome and he would say that die is cast. And unconsciously he's echoing Naomi's words. Naomi says, wait to see how the matter falls, what's going to come from it. And Naomi isn't saying, wait to see what comes about by luck, what comes about by blind chance. Naomi's an Israelite. 
And she knows that the lot is cast into the lap, but its result is from the Lord. But what she means is, look, the dice have already been cast. The events are already in motion. Wait to see how they fall. Wait to see what numbers come up. Wait to see what God does. Wait, because it's out of your hands. Wait to see the result. The time for activity is over. Wait, my daughter. Our Christian lives are marked by periods of waiting. Periods where we have to sit and wait and see how the matter falls out. What are you waiting for? You're waiting for marriage. Waiting for God to bring a partner into your life. Are you waiting to get a job? Waiting for applications to be successful? Waiting for work to come in? Maybe you're waiting for recognition in work. A boss to notice how hard you work. To give you some credit rather than the other people. So they, they can see that you're honouring God. Maybe you're waiting for exam results. Waiting for guidance as to what the next step in life is. Just waiting for the next phase of life. Moving from school to university or university to work or work to retirement. Waiting for the next phase of life. Maybe you're waiting to see how a difficult family situation works out. Waiting on the results of medical tests. Maybe you're waiting for heaven and for the freedom from bodily weakness and illness that comes in glory. Maybe you're waiting for the freedom from sin and temptation that comes in heaven. And we'll no longer fall into that same sin again and again and again. Waiting for the time of no more tears, no more pain, no more sin. Maybe you're waiting for God to reveal to you the mysteries of providence. Like Ruth and Naomi, bitter circumstances have come into your life. You don't know why, but you're waiting for God to reveal them. Maybe you're waiting... For the coming of God's kingdom. For people to be saved. Waiting for all of our work and service. And all the time that you've invested in people here in Characters. Waiting for it to bear fruit. Waiting for people to be saved. Waiting for people to come to know and love Jesus as their King and Saviour. To see their sin and turn away from their sin. And come to trust in Jesus. Christian life is full of waiting. Whole seasons in life where we have to wait. There are times when the dice have been cast and we've done all that we can do and we have to wait. Time comes when we can do no more and we wait on God. There's no decisions that can be made, there's nothing we can do to influence the outcome. We have to wait. I don't know, I don't think we've any farmers here tonight. But some of you are maybe gardeners. I think farmers and gardeners understand probably best this idea of how we just have to wait sometimes. The farmer or the gardener sows or plants their seed. And yes, they can fertilise, they can weed, they, they can do certain things. But at the end of the day, they can't make it germinate. They sow, they plant and they wait. That's the image that James uses 
in his letter, chapter 5. Wait patiently like a farmer who sows, waits for the rains and waits for the fruit. Time comes in life where you've done everything you can and you just have to wait. And the reason that we have to wait is because often God's hand is hidden. Often we don't see what God is doing. We don't understand why he's doing it. We have to wait. It's true in Ruth. Remember, as, as these events are unfolding, they don't know the ending. Ruth, Naomi, Boaz don't know the ending. We do, and we're familiar with it. But it's all in, up in the air at this point, as far as they're concerned. They can't see God's hidden hand. But we can, because we know the story. We can read it all. We have the bird's eye view. We can see the events unfolding. And what God is doing. It's like we're on the balcony of the building. And we can look down and see what's happening beneath. They can't see God's hand in all the tragedies of the book. And the tragedy of, of Naomi and Elimelech taking their family to Moab. When they should have stayed in obedience. The tragedy of Elimelech dying and Malon and Kilion dying can't see God's hand. They can't see God's hand in sending bread to Bethlehem so that they would return and God blessing his people. They can't see God's hand in the responses of Ruth and Orpah, of Ruth following Naomi and Orpah turning back. They can't see God's hand in that. can't see God's hand in... The barley harvest. At that, at, in, in God bringing Ruth and Naomi back at just that exact precise point of the barley harvest. And they can't see God's hand in Ruth just happening to end up in Boaz's field. Of all the fields in Bethlehem. Can't see God's hand in Boaz coming along at just that moment when Ruth is there. Can't see God's hand in the bad advice that Naomi gives at the start of chapter 3. Can't see God's hand in Boaz's righteousness and at the midnight hour when Ruth approaches him. They can't see God's hand in Ruth's holy boldness as, as she approaches uh, Boaz. Can't see God's hand bringing all these things to move his people from emptiness to fullness. God's hand is hidden from them. So they have to wait. They can't see it, but we can. That's why we have to wait. God's hand is at work, but often it's hidden. We can't see it. We don't know what he's doing. We don't know where he's taking us. We don't know where we'll end up. We have to wait. One writer says, we are often in a greater hurry than God is. We need to learn that our God is trustworthy. His timing is perfect. His wisdom plans everything for our good. We have every reason to rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. There is never a good reason to run ahead of God.
There is never a good reason to run ahead of God. God is at work, but his hand is hidden. And so we need to do all that we can, and then we wait. Because God is at work, but his hand is hidden. We do all that we can in teaching our children in God's ways, and then we wait for God to work in saving them and converting them. We do all that we can in the, the kingdom work here in Carrick and, and preaching and teaching in Sabbath school and Friday night club and working with the, the contacts and our neighbours. We do all that we can and then we wait. God's at work. Illness and bodily weakness. We do all that we can and then we wait. Waiting for God to show us the next stage of life See what his plans are for our lives. Do all that we can and we wait. Abigail's granda, Herbie Yates, some of you might remember him. He had this verse, verse 18, on a plaque at his desk in his office. And he would quote it frequently. Sit still, my daughter, and wait to see how the matter turns out. It's a great verse to, to have in a plaque in a wall. It's a great verse to have in your heart. It's a great verse to hold with you. Sit still until you see how the matter turns out. Why we have to wait? Because God's hand is hidden. God's hand is hidden. The second question I want to answer is why can we wait? We have to wait because God's hand is hidden. We don't see everything that's going on. So how can we wait? The reason we can wait is because our Redeemer is a man of action. Our Redeemer is a man of action. Look at the second part of verse 18. Naomi said, wait my daughter until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. This may be panicking. She's pace, pacing around. She's going from high to low. Excitement to disappointment. Worry of, will it all work out? Naomi says. Wait. Boaz won't rest. He won't relax. He won't be quiet. He won't have any respite. Until it's done. Until the matter is settled. It's early morning. Boaz doesn't go back to bed. He doesn't say, that's very good Ruth. We'll worry about it tomorrow. And roll over and go back to sleep. Look at verse 15. He gives Ruth these, uh, this gift. Then he went back to town. Some translations you might have maybe says, then she went back to town. It's probably better, it's more likely to be he went back to town. Because Boaz is a man of action. Naomi can save him. He won't rest until the matter is settled today. Gives Ruth this gift and then he races up the hill into Bethlehem to meet the other redeemer and see what can be done about this. He's not going to rest until the matter is settled, till it's finished, till it's completed. It's interesting, the writer uses the same word here at the end of verse 18 as chapter 2, verse 23. 
Rustay close to the servant girls of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished, were completed. That's the word that is used in verse 18. Man will not rest until the matter is finished, until it's completed. The empty barns that once were empty for years and years because of famine are now full. Harvest is completed. And the writer is giving a hint here. There's going to be more completion. Think, remember the barns? They were empty. Now they're full. Won't rest until you're full. Until God has brought blessing and fullness. The Redeemer won't rest. He's a man of action. And this is true of Boaz, the Redeemer in this story. How much more, how much more is it true of the great Redeemer, of our Redeemer, of Jesus, our Saviour, our Redeemer? If Boaz won't rest until the matter is settled, how much more Jesus? If Boaz is a man of action, how much more Jesus? If Boaz is driven here by both duty and desire. He's driven by duty. He is a kinsman redeemer. It's his duty to do it. But he's not the first in line. Boaz wants to do this. The redeemer is driven to action by duty and desire. Both things. That's true of our saviour. He's driven to work for us. To redeem us by duty and desire. By his covenant promise. By the the promise that he made to the Father to save his people from all eternity. That drives him. But he made that promise because he wanted to. He wanted to save. And so he has to save but he wants to save. And he will do everything necessary to save, to redeem. He's a man of action. Will not rest until the matter is completed. And when we look at the cross, our Saviour dying on the cross for our sins, what more proof do we need of his action, of his activity for us on our behalf? God gave his own son to redeem us. Jesus gave his own life to redeem us. How much more will he graciously give us all things that we need? He's a man of action who works until it's completed. And at the cross he worked our full, complete salvation with nothing lacking. And now he continues to work for us to redeem us. He is in control of all things. He's the king on the throne who rules throughout the earth that we sang of in our first psalm. His hand is moving all the pieces on the chessboard. The black and the white. The good things and the bad things. He's in control. Some of you, I'm sure, are familiar with the shorter catechism. 
question that asks, what are God's works of providence? God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, powerful, preserving and governing of all his creatures and all their actions. See that little word that makes all the difference? All his creatures and all their actions. He's in control. He's acting for his people right now. Controlling all things for the good of his people. Even in the face of barriers and complications. He's working. He's controlling. He's acting for us. John Newton, the man who wrote Amazing Grace, also wrote these words, which I found enormously helpful in life. Speaking of Jesus, the King on the throne, everything is necessary that he sends. And nothing can be necessary that he withholds. Everything is necessary that he sends. That's all the barriers, all the difficulties, all the hardships of life, are necessary. Nothing is necessary that he withholds. He's acting for us. All things work together for the good. The king of heaven's thoughts and actions are directed towards you and me. He's working for us. Controlling all things for our good. He seems slow. Maybe to you his slowness to work seems like he doesn't care. Maybe it seems that he's not busy. I think sometimes the reason things are slow is because he cares. Because he cares. Last summer we had a wasp that built its nest in our shed. So every few days as I was coming in and out of the shed, I'd look up and see this little paper mache ball growing. The wasp always working. I was working at it for two or three weeks. And you go in one day. And you'd see it and you'd come back in the next day. And really there wasn't much progress. It wasn't being built particularly quickly. Wasp seemed to be going very... Well, he was going very slowly. Why was it working so slowly? Because it was building the best possible nest for its young. Best possible place to lay its eggs. And the work was slow because of the care. Do you ever wonder why it took so long for God to send Jesus a Redeemer? He promised in the garden at the very start a Redeemer would come. Yet how much history had to pass? Why did he wait so long? The one reason was because he was waiting until the conditions were perfect. So that the news of what the Saviour had done could travel as far and as quickly as possible. Slow because he cares. He's behind the scenes and he's like the puppet master. And he's controlling everything. It's always at work for us. Just as I finish, I want to speak to any who as yet aren't Christians. Haven't trusted in Jesus as their Redeemer. All that I've been saying tonight does not apply to you. He is not working for you. 
He is not working for your best interests. He is against you. You're rebelling against the King of Heaven, King of all the earth. And he is working against you. As long as you continue rebelling, He is against you. He is not for you. Don't delude yourself into thinking that He is a special piece of care for you and He'll make things okay for you. You're against Him. He is against you. He works for His people. He works for His bride, the ones He loves. Why can we wait? How can we wait? What grounds do we have for waiting? The man, the Redeemer, will not rest until the matter is settled today. Our Redeemer is a busy man. He works things to their completion. He brings it to the best possible point. And one day he's coming and he'll fully redeem us. So sit still. And wait. Amen. Please turn to Psalm 138. We want to express to God now the longing that we have for Him to work, the yearning that we have for His kingdom to come and for His work in our lives. And so we sing Psalm 138. We sing all of it, page 3. A great redemption psalm. Now the final verses. Verse 5. Redemption in abundance is found with him. Plenteous, abundant redemption. He himself, God himself, will redeem Israel from their sins. And God himself, God the Son, stands with his arms wide open. And the nail marks visible in his hands. And he says, come, there is abundant redemption for you, if you come to me. But we have to wait for his full redemption. I wait, Sansa 3, I for the Lord wait. Why can we wait? How can we wait? What grounds do we have for waiting? His steadfast love. Hope in the Lord, O Israel, for steadfast love has he. His plenteous, abundant redemption. A stand to worship God and please remain standing for prayer. Oh, man.
You know the yearning and the longing that we have for you. We long to see you work, to see you act in our lives, to see what your plans are for us. We long to have our full redemption, to be in glory with you, to be free from illness and pain and sin. We long for perfection. Lord, we hope in you. We thank you that we can hope and trust in you because you have steadfast love. Steadfast love that gave your son to die for your enemies. And we pray you would enable us to hold on to that. To hold on to the fact that our Redeemer is a man of action who works things to completion. And he worked salvation to completion for us. And he's working all things now to completion for us and his glory. Enable us, Lord, to hang on to this as we wait on you. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.